Well, good morning. Good morning, Church 21. So glad to be with you. My name is Dwight. I'm the husband of Jess. Uh, did great job uh, with prayer and letting us know about casual coffee. So thank you, Jess. Um, so glad that you're here with us for week two of our Emotionally Healthy Spirituality sermon series. Uh, we're going to be looking at this over eight weeks. So including this week, we have seven weeks left doing math in the moment. It's pretty impressive. I know Sunday morning, great. Everything's banging on all cylinders, I think. Um, here's how we've set this up. Uh, we want for you to be following up uh, this material uh, in city groups. And so you've already heard what city groups were, uh, but we want for you to join one because that's where we're really processing this information. It's not made to be processed on your own only, but please pick up the book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, and pick up Day by Day, which is helping uh, you walk through all of the concepts that we're learning and applying them uh, two times daily. So, uh, so glad that you're with us. And what I want to do this morning is I want to talk about you. I want to talk about you. I'm so glad that you're here. I'm so glad that you're with us virtually, and uh, let me pray, then we'll get at you. Lord, thank you that you're with us. Thank you that you are a great God. We love you, and we need you for everything. Would you please speak to our hearts this morning about who you are and who we are and how we need you? I want to pray for those who are here with us that don't yet know you and are very skeptical about you. Would you please uh, comfort them and open their, their eyes and ears and hearts to who you are? We love you, and we need you for everything. Amen. So as I said, I want to talk a lot about you this morning. So here's the question. Who are you? Who are you? It's one of the most awkward questions to be asked. Not what do you do? Where are you from? But who are you? It's awkward because we often don't know how to answer it. But yet it's one of the most fundamental questions of our existence. Who are we? Who am I? Plays into the whole understanding of, of life mattering at all. Who are you. And this is what we're going to get after this morning. Very few can answer that question. You want to make someone stumble at a dinner party, of course, a virtual dinner party right now because you can't go near anyone. Um, but you want to make someone stumble, ask them, who are you? Listen to what uh, Tom Baker, who uh, he was one of the Doctor Who's, I think the fourth iteration of Doctor Who. Uh, he said, not only don't I know who I am, but I'm very suspicious of people who do know who they are. People who are confident in understanding who they are, people are suspicious of because we just don't believe it because people don't really get who they are. In fact, you have habits right now that everyone else around you knows about but you don't know about. Right? Isn't that awkward when someone points something out that you haven't seen ever before and yet it's plain to everyone else? See, we forgot. We really forgot who we were as a people. It's, it's nothing new. We've been forgetting who we are since the very beginning. We believe in a God who made everything and we believe that he made our first parents and placed them into this garden paradise and that he gave them one restriction which allowed for them to enjoy him in every single thing that they did and, and they broke that one restriction and ever since that day we've been on this, this cul-de-sac of forgetting who we are. And it got so bad that in Genesis 11, first book in the Bible, 11 chapters in, we see humanity coming together. Oh, yes, yes, one world, one peace, amazing. No, they were coming together to make a name for themselves. Now listen to Genesis 11, verse 4. 
Uh, Then they said, come let us build ourselves a city and a tower with the top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. God's plan was for his people, the people he created to be over the entire earth, to take dominion over everything and to be like vice regents, vice kings with him, ruling and reigning over everything. And yet, what did we do? We decided we were going to try and build a skyscraper so that we could put our name, humanity, on the top of that thing and make a name for ourselves. When it says that they were trying to make a name for themselves, it means either that they forgot who they are or they're trying to find themselves. That's a pretty common thing that we hear. Just trying to find myself, right? Got to go deeper and find myself. And it's because we forgot who we are. We forgot who we are. And in this pursuit to find ourselves, we throw out the creator and the instructions. Have you ever been with someone that they get something that they need to put together and they take the instructions and they throw it away? I once sold an armoire to to someone and I had the instructions. I'm like, do you want these? Like, no thanks. He took the whole thing apart, put it in his car, drove off. And I'm thinking, what an idiot. No, what an idiot. Why would you not use the instructions? And I guess he loved doing that type of thing. But this is what we do as as humans. We try and find ourselves and forge a path forward, but yet we do it without the creator and without his intentions and his instructions. We think that we're making this brave new world for ourselves by forging this path. But here's the thing. Everything is based on observation. What we can see, what we can taste, what we can hear, what we can smell, what we can feel. That's our limitations. That's our forging our path forward is all based on research. Now, that can be formal or informal research. But everything is based on observation, which means that we are limited. We are limited in our understanding, which means that we as beings, created human beings, that we need revelation. We need the owner to let us know and give us insight into what's actually going on so that we know who we are and how we are supposed to live. We need revelation. This is what we seek when we're seeking enlightenment or when we're seeking peace or when we go to a psychic to be told our future. We want revelation. It's deep down in all of our hearts. And here's the thing, God actually gives it to us. John Calvin, one of the reformers in the the 16th century, said this, our wisdom... Our wisdom consists almost entirely of two parts, the knowledge of God and of ourselves. But as these are connected together by many ties, it's not easy to determine which of the two proceeds and gives birth to the other. You see, God made us to be in relationship with him. In biblical times, uh, Simon, who we know as Peter, uh, his name is Simon Bar-Jonah, which means Simon, son of Jonah. We were known as humans in relationship to our son. Now we just have a last name, so we're connected to a lineage. But we're known by who we're connected to, and God made us this way as as well. He made us to be known in relationship to him. And what happened was we orphaned ourselves. We cut the cord. We said we're ready to go all by ourselves. And by doing that, we became slaves to this cul-de-sac of Babel, This trying to make a name for ourselves because we've forgotten who we are. But here's good news, and we're going to explore this later. God offered back what we lost, but he offered it only in Jesus. And I want to read a few verses for you, and I'm going to explore these at a deeper level in a little while. But let me read to you Galatians 4, verse 4 to 7. 
Galatians 4, 4 to 7 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And that means sons and daughters as well, as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. We're given this new identity. We've been adopted in the family of God. If you are a follower of Jesus and you've submitted to him, you are brought into the family of God. You're no longer a slave. You're no longer an orphan. You now belong to God. And we have this beautiful new identity. But here's the frustrating part. We still don't know ourselves. We still don't know ourselves. New identity, beloved child of God, holy, amazing but we still don't know ourselves. How is this? Why does this happen? Well, what I want to do is I want to look at two significant ways that we stifle knowing ourselves. So two ways that we stifle knowing ourselves. The first way is this, a regular suppression of body and feelings. So regularly suppressing the needs of our body and our feelings. See, we're, we're not platonic. Christianity isn't a platonic religion. It's not a platonic understanding where we say the spirit is good, the body is bad, get rid of the body. No, Jesus resurrects from the dead with a real body. So we don't throw the body out. Say the body's bad, spirit's good. The body is good. Why is it good? Well, because God made the body. God made the body and he's remaking the body. But God made the body and what he did was he hardwired our feelings in. Listen to what Pete Scazzaro says. God speaks to us through a knot in our stomach, a muscle tension, trembling and shaking, the release of adrenaline into our bloodstream, headaches, and suddenly elevated heart rate. God may be screaming at us through our physical body while we look for and prefer a more spiritual signal. The reality is that often our bodies know our feelings before our minds. Our bodies know our feelings before our minds. Now, some of you might not be comfortable with feeling language. Oh, we're just going to talk about our feelings. I get it. I get it. But we have to pay attention to our feelings. We don't make major decisions based on if I feel good or not, or I feel like I have peace or not. It's not subjective feelings in that way. But God has given us, he's hardwired feelings into us so that he can let us know about what's going on around us and how our body is feeling. So there are eight major feeling families. I'm not going to get into these in great depth, but there's anger, and that has a drop-down menu with all kinds of other things. These are just the major headings. So anger, sadness, fear, enjoyment, love, surprise, disgust, and shame. Now, there's some of those that you love, and there's some of those that you re- suppress all the time, that you just push down. I don't want to feel these. I don't want for these to come up. Now, last week, you were very brave, You all were brave. I'll give you a hand. Uh, You shared which things you were struggling with. I want to ask you to put in the chat box, if you're on church21.online.church, put which ones of these or which one of these do you try and, and not experience? Right, you feel it and you push it away. You try and manipulate your your mind and your heart as if this thing isn't real and going on. So go ahead and put that in the box there. You see, when we, when we suppress our feelings, when we push them down, 
It's like not treating water damage in our house. A few years ago, we went on vacation. We came home. There was water all over our dining room table, spilled over, had gone into the hardwood. All the ceiling was falling apart. Uh, destroyed two floors. Uh, ended up good when we sold our house because it sold for a lot more. So that was great. But when they came in to take care of the, the water damage, um, I didn't. I had never experienced water damage before. They come in and I just expect them to rip things up. And they come in and they put these major heaters on everything. Our house got to ridiculous temperatures. It was summertime. It was crazy. The whole thing that they were going after was they wanted to make sure that they were drying out everything so that then when they put new material down, there wasn't any mold that had the chance to, to breed and grow underneath because that would have caused horrendous sickness. And sometimes mold can even cause death. And this is what we do with our feelings. If if we feel something and we just come in and we see our feelings all over our dining room table and we see the damage, we just rip up the floors and we put down new ones. We don't take the time to dry out what's going on underneath. But if we don't take care of it, at some point, those feelings are going to manifest. They're going to get out. At some point, you're going to experience the mold and maybe even the death that comes from that. You see, when we deny our feelings we deny our feelings, it makes us less human over time. God made us human with feelings hardwired and when we deny them and push them down and say, no, 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 that's not real. We're denying our humanity. Not only are we denying our humanity, but when we deny our feelings, it makes us less like God. It makes us less like him because God is a God who feels. In the book, I think it's page 46 and 47 or 45, 46, something like that. It talks about, Pete points out different uh, verses in the Bible that talk about how God feels, that God is a feeler. It's amazing, isn't it? And God made us in his image. And when we become, we become less human and we, be, we become less like God, then we become something that we're forming in an image that we want to become like. See, he didn't make us to suppress or repress our feelings. He made us to submit our feelings to him and to his word, for us to get to take our feelings and, and find them in the Bible. If you read the Psalms, you're gonna find all of these feelings, all of these categories are there and you'll see how people work through their feelings. So the first significant way that we stifle understanding who we are is, is this, we, we suppress our body and our feelings. What's your body trying to tell you? What is your body trying to tell you? Are you overly exhausted? Does your eye twitch? It's never happened before. Do you have shakes? Do you have panic attacks? Are you anxious? Do you have trouble sleeping? What is your body trying to tell you about what's going on? And in a, in a connected way, how is God trying to communicate through that? Right? He made your body to respond to stimuli a certain way. Listen to what your body is telling you. The second thing, the second way that, that we stifle knowing ourselves is that we're tempted toward a false self. We're tempted toward a false self. We're, we're pretending to be someone else. Now, when you're a kid, it's cute that kids dress up, right? Halloween's super cute. Uh, it's kind of awkward when adults dress up. And I know some of you love to dress up and, and all that. It doesn't make it less awkward because you like to do it. But when kids dress up, super cute. If you're still dressing up in the same clothes when you're an adult, 
That's called sad, right? It's sad. It's sad because this is something for little kids to get to pretend and amuse themselves with and do this. They, they want to pretend to be someone else. But then when we become an adult, we need to realize that, that we're not that and we can't be that. But here's the sad news in it all is that we still try and play dress up. Even for those of you who would be ashamed to dress up. We still play dress up. Everyone is trying to be beautiful tonight. One of my buddies played in a, in a band called The Wrecking. And one of the songs uh, said, isn't everyone playing beautiful tonight? Right, and that's it. We're all playing beautiful. We're all putting these, these masks on. And this is the whole idea of emotionally healthy spirituality is we're unmasking. We're taking off the mask to be seen for who we really are. And maybe we don't even know who we are yet. But who do you want to be? Take a moment, think about this. Who do you want to be? Is it a character in a book? Is it a character in the Bible? Is it one of your parents? You don't want to be your parents? Is it a professional athlete? Is it a mentor? Who is it that you want to be? Or do you have a picture of who you want to be in your mind? And then I ask you, why? Why do you want to be that person or be like that person? What benefits you by achieving that? What benefits will you receive? And then let me ask this. What benefits do you receive by achieving the faults you? What are you getting by pretending to be someone that you're really not? And when we pretend long enough, when you lie to yourself long enough, you actually begin to believe it. I don't know if you've known a pathological liar. I lived with one. One of my roommates, university. And uh, he would lie all the time. He, he would tell me things that I knew were false and he knew were, were false and he'd be caught and he would still lie about it. It's like somehow his mind was convinced that this thing was true. It's brutal. But if you believe a lie long enough, you believe it to be true. So what I want to do is I want to look at Jesus now. I want to look at an account where he was tempted toward a false self because Jesus was tempted in every way that you and I were tempted. You see, at this point, I'm going to be in Luke uh, 3 and 4. Brian read that for us this morning. Up until this point, Jesus was unknown. It's from this little town, Nazareth. It's like a backwoods town. No one would have known about him. He wasn't a child prodigy. And he was a cousin of a freak, John the Baptizer. And John the Baptizer, a lot of people knew who he was. That's because he was out in the wilderness uh, yelling about uh, repenting. And all of Israel was coming out to him. And he ate honey and locusts and he wore camel hair. I mean, that's a sideshow in and of itself. So people, you could just go out and see him, never mind the message. But people were flocking to him. They were expecting that change was coming. But there was nothing special about Jesus at this point. So Jesus goes out and he gets baptized. Not because he needs to be baptized for sin, but he gets baptized to identify with the people that needed to be baptized. And look at what God says as Jesus comes up out of the water. Look at Luke 3, 21 and 22. Now when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. This is so important. Jesus hadn't done anything yet. Now, 
We believe that he lived a perfect life, that he didn't rebel, that he had never sinned. The only one to ever do that. But at this point, as he comes up out of the water, a voice from heaven, God the Father says to God the Son, with you, I am well pleased. There was value in who he was. There's this value in who he was. And he couldn't lose that value. He was the Son of God. See, it's like having a car or a vehicle that's, that's always full of gas. Always full. It never runs out. The battery, if you're into electronic cars, the battery never goes out. A, a perfectly running, never stopping Tesla. But what happens if one day you think, you think, you know what, I'm going to add something to the gas tank. I'm going to add a little more energy to this battery. What happens is you end up actually taking away from the glory of the never-ending battery, the never-running-out gas. You take away by trying to put in because you stopped and got a gallon of milk. You're like, oh, I'll put this in. You stop, you get some pop, you, you put that in. You get some coffee, you put that in. You get a little Duracell battery and you plug that in to your Tesla. You take away from the glory of this endless car, this endless energy because you tried to add something to it. And this is what's true of followers of Jesus. If you were a follower of Jesus, you were a new creation. You were a child of God. You are holy. You are beloved. This is spoken over you. This is my son. This is my daughter with whom I am well pleased. You are full. You are full. And yet what's also true is the guy who's trying to fill up is never running out gas with milk. That's what we do. We try and add stuff to our tank. We want to participate. We want to matter. We want to add our thing. We want to add our thing. And by adding our thing, we're we're taking away from our true self and moving towards a false self. Because no longer is it the, the car that runs on endless gas or endless battery. No longer is it our value in just being a son or a daughter. It's that we added something. We did this thing. We showed God how beautiful and wonderful we really are. God owes us. You see, we're tempted away from believing. This is my beloved child with whom I am well pleased. And so there are three significant temptations toward a false self. And I guarantee we've experienced all three of these. And as I listed, if this is what you struggle with, Put it in the chat section. We want to be praying for you, right? It's no judgment. It's not a judgment there. It's so that we can be praying for you and that part of becoming emotionally healthy is confessing, yes, this is who I am. This is who I am. And God is changing me. God is changing me. So I want to show you how Jesus experienced these temptations and then look at how they apply to us. So Luke chapter four, we'll go in verse three. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. Here's the thing. Jesus comes up out of the water. The Holy Spirit leads Jesus out into the wilderness for 40 days, 40 nights, no food, fasting. And who does he get to spend time with? The Satan, the devil, right? Horrible, horrible. And here's what he does. He comes along and says, if you are the son of God, what's he doing? He's trying to get Jesus to redefine himself, not about what the father just said, that you are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. He's trying to get him to do this. I am what I do. Look at this. If you are the son of God, 
command the stone. If you are the son of God, then obey me. If you're the son of God, perform. If you really are this, how many of you have heard that before? Either internally or from others around you. Prove that you are this. Prove it. Well, the reality is, is that if you are in Christ, you are fully loved. But the temptation is to find worth outside of God's inexhaustible love. That's the temptation on the table. That we find our identity and our performance in what we do. We covet success, don't we? We want to be successful. I don't meet many people that want to be a failure. In fact, I don't think I've ever met anyone that said, I just want to fail. We covet success in work, maybe in family, in relationships, in school, in our hobby, in being successful, right? We're successful in being successful because we don't even know how to define what successful really is. But successful is a feeling that I matter. I did it. I did it. Congratulations. Give me a medal. I did it. I matter. Listen to what Thomas Merton says. If I had a message to my contemporaries, it was surely this. Be anything you like, but at all costs, avoid one thing. Success. Why? Because success is unattainable. There's always a greater success, something else to accomplish, something else to do. And God doesn't ask us, be successful. Be successful for me. Do you know what God's ask is? Be faithful. Be committed. Be devoted to me. And God's not saying perfectly. That's his standard, but we can't do it perfectly. And that's why Jesus comes and does it for us. But he says, be faithful to me. This means when you screw up and you blow it and you sin massively, what do you do? Instead of sulking in shame and self-pity and walking around, you turn, you repent. You turn from the thing you're doing that's wrong and you turn back to God and you say, I'm so thankful that you've forgiven me in Jesus. I need you. This is what it means to be faithful that day in and day out, we are saying, I need you, Lord. I need you, Lord. I am not sufficient for this task. We covet success. But there's a flip side to this coin as well. So many of us accept that I am useless. You've believed when people have told you I'm a piece of garbage. I'm not worth it. I'm not worth life. I'm not worth living. God could never and should never love me. He should never invest in me. But here's the thing. God doesn't make useless. He doesn't. It wasn't like God had this spare scrap of of skin and bones and he's like, what am I going to do with these things? He's like, I'll just make this person. And there you are. No, God intricately wove you together. He he fashioned you in the womb unlike anyone else that's ever lived. You were a unique creation made by God. You are not leftovers. You are not leftovers. You are not your performance. You are not what you do. And look at what Jesus does. Look at what he fights with. Jesus answered Satan, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And then in Matthew's account, he goes on to say, but by the word of God. And what was the word of God over Jesus' life? This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. So no matter what you say to me, well, if you can't prove it, you're not really the son of God. He's like, "Ah, it's not up to proving it. It's what my father just said. That's what's most true. So you shut up, right? Do you ever need to speak that way to, to the enemy or to your own mind? Shut up. It's not true. It's not even real. Kids don't say shut up. I feel like I need to add that. It's not good. 
just, it's just good for preachers to say, but not in real life. Be quiet. Be quiet. We live by the word of God that I am not what I do. I am what's been done for me. I am what Jesus' performance has done for me. The second temptation away false self is this. It's found in Luke 4, 5 through 7. The devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you, I will give all this authority and their glory for it has been delivered to me and I will give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. You can have it all. You can possess everything. And this is the second temptation toward a false self is that I am what I have. I am my possessions. Uh, As a kid, I would go to get my hair cut. That's kind of a... Uh, foregone thing at this moment. No more haircuts for a long time, probably. Um, Anyway, when I would go to the barber, Keith was the guy's name, and he had this little thing over his mirror, and it says, he who dies with the most toys wins. And I was like, what a a loser. (laughs) Like, who's this old guy that's like talking about toys? I didn't understand until later on that it was possessions, right? I thought that this older barber really just liked toys. She might have. Um, but he who dies with the most toys wins because it's all about how much I possess, how much I have. See, here's a cycle that we go through when this is our identity. I see something, I want it, and I get it. Or I don't get it. And if I get it, I find elation, right? There's, there's some things going on in my body that make me feel really good. And if I don't get it, there's things in my body going off that don't make me feel good. But even if we get it or we don't get it, at some point we're not satisfied with that thing. So we hit repeat and we go through the cycle again. We see, we want, we get, we find, or we don't find, we're depressed or we're not, we're not satisfied, we repeat. And this just keeps going on and on and on. And we're one purchase or one possession away from eternal bliss, of that, that void in our souls finally getting filled up, but it just never happens. The author of Fight Club says this, the things you own end up owning you. The things you own end up owning you. It's only after you lose everything that you're free to do anything. Now, I know that this quote breaks down at one level, but, but the basic understanding of it is, is beautiful, that our possessions can end up possessing us, that we walk around possessed by our possessions. You see, the stuff that we have, those are all gifts, but they all belong to our Father. They all belong to, to God the Father, who is a great gift giver to those who love him and don't love him. He just gives his gifts. But his gifts are not our identity. Can you imagine a child receiving something on Christmas morning and saying, Lego is my new identity. This is where I'm building. This is the foundation that I'm building my life on. Literally, I'm going to build this Lego so tall that I can live on this and find my being in this thing. Right, That would be such a weird Christmas. But this is what we do with our stuff, that we find our identity in what we have or what we don't have or what our neighbors have or don't have. And we do this comparative satisfaction thing that, oh, I was satisfied with this till I saw that that person had that. Now we need to have that. We end up crazy. We end up feeling crazy because we're on this cycle to just keep getting more and more and more and more. And what the devil says to Jesus is it'll all be yours. Just worship me. Or in fact, worship anything but God. That's the trap that gets put out for us all the time. Worship anything but God. And how does Jesus fight 
this, this temptation toward a false self. What does he do? Well, Luke 4, 8. Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Jesus is saying, everything is mine because I have God. I don't need all that. Now, theologically speaking, all of that was truly Jesus anyways. It wasn't Satan's to give away. But all is mine for I have God. Jesus encountered this rich young ruler one day. The story, I believe, is in Luke 19. He encounters this, this rich young ruler, and the rich young ruler is rich and a ruler. So lots of possessions, lots of power. He comes to Jesus and says, Teacher, how can I have eternal life? And Jesus says, Well, keep the commands. He says, Yeah, I've done that since my youth. And Jesus says, Ah, there's one thing that you, you're missing. Sell all your possessions, give them to the poor, and come and follow me. And what happens? He goes away sad that he couldn't have eternal life. Why? Because his possessions were so important to him that he couldn't imagine what life could be like as a poor follower. Are you finding your identity, your false self in your possessions? What is it you have that actually owns you? Jesus wants you to give that up. The third significant temptation toward a false self is found in Luke 4, 9 through 11. The devil took Jesus to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here for it's written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Here's the temptation. I am what others think. I am what others think. Being popular. Jesus was unknown at this point. And Satan is saying, I can make you famous. I can make you famous. If you just toss yourself off this thing, angels are going to catch you. Everyone's going to see you. It'll be amazing. You will be seen for who you really are. Show the world how great you are, Jesus. Be recognized. Have your platform. Embrace your destiny. And look at what Jesus says. Luke 4.12. Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord, your God, to the test. Jesus was known by God. I mean, this is profound. Jesus was known by God. Jesus came to save the world. He gives away his cards later. He came to save the world. But Jesus didn't need it through a popularity contest. Jesus didn't need to rescue people through being voted the Messiah. Jesus knew who he was. And he knew that he was known by God. He didn't need the test He was a true and authentic self. You get that? He was his true and authentic self. And here's the thing is we can live like this too. We can live just like Jesus in this way that we can be true and authentic. We don't need to live a curated life where we're examining which images go up and we're shaping things for for other people and for popular opinion. So we end up living a life of politics through our social media accounts. Living for popularity is a bad God, isn't it? It's a bad God because it'll never, it'll never be satisfied. Popularity is usually slow to get unless you're an internet sensation and usually that goes away pretty quick. It's slow to get, but it's quick to lose. People forget about you quickly when you're no longer popular and it leaves you empty. You're never popular enough. If you were just known by one more person, that one person that won't pay attention to you, But here's the thing. 
is that you are made in the image of God. You are known by the Lord, and we're not overwhelmed by that enough. We seek an image for ourselves, but we're already made in the image of God. We want to be known by people so that we feel like we're being filled up, but we're known by the Lord, the only one who can know us for all of eternity. And what happens when we know who we are? What happens when we learn to live a true and authentic life like Jesus lived all the time? What happens? Well, we begin to live a life of what's called differentiation. And here's how it's defined. Pete Scazzaro says differentiation is a person's capacity to define his or her own life's goals and values apart from pressures of those around them. You ever meet someone that was exuding humility and confidence? They weren't arrogant, but they were confident. They were extremely kind and caring, but they were unwavering in what they believed was true and right and good. This is how Jesus lived. When you live like this, you you live like you have nothing to prove, but you have lots to propose. Nothing to prove, but lots to propose. And you can tell the difference, can't you? When someone is trying to prove themselves versus proposing something to you for your good. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. This is what it means to live a life of differentiation. And this was Jesus. That Jesus could be around anyone. He could be around a prostitute. Or he could be around a religious leader. He could be around a fisherman. He could be around a drunk. Jesus was able to be around everyone. But yet he didn't give in to the goals of others. In fact, people started becoming more like Jesus. Jesus would go to lepers. Lepers would touch Jesus and Jesus wouldn't get the leprosy. They'd get healing. Jesus was was bringing humility and confidence with him wherever he went and he was focused on what God wanted. He lived an authentic life and that's the life we all want. That's who we want to be. When you ask the question, who are you? We want to be able to say my authentic self. I'm being who I really am. And I'm being who I really am in relation to who God is. So how do we do this? How do we do this? Let's apply this. Ephesians 4, 20 to 24 says this, but that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Put off your former self, your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. How do we do this? How do we do this? Well, it says in verse 20 at the beginning, that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming you heard about him and were taught in him. So the first thing, the first thing in living an authentic life is that we know Christ. Until you know Christ, you're gonna hide things. You'll even pretend to be authentic so that you can hide other things that you don't want to come out. But when you know who Jesus is and when you know him, you're free. You're really free. Have you committed your life to Jesus before? I want to invite you, if you haven't done that, commit your life to him today. Give yourself to Jesus. He's given himself to you. Now give yourself to him. You see, you can't change yourself on your own. But he wants to change you. 
He wants to put up scaffolding around your life and begin the hard work of making you just like him. He wants to forgive you for everything that you've done and everything you will do. It's amazing. And he's gonna make you just like him. Jesus went to the cross and gave his life for you. He shed his blood so you could be forgiven. And he rose from the dead three days later so that you could know that that's the type of life you're gonna have a resurrected life with him for all of eternity. And you can receive Jesus today by saying, Jesus, I need you. I need your death and your resurrection for me. I wanna live an authentic life and be connected to you forever. And if you pray that, would you let us know? Would you join the Zoom call after our our gathering this morning so that you can find out how to begin following Jesus? We have a a gift for you as well that on that Zoom call we'd love to, to give to you. But we have to know Christ. That's the first thing. The second thing in living this authentic life connected to God is that we pay attention to the interior. We pay attention to what's going on inside in times of silence and solitude. A few weeks ago, we talked about silence and solitude. I want to keep calling you to that. Start small every day. Start with two minutes. Start with five minutes. And then work yourself up to an hour, a half day, a day-long retreat but make sure that you're getting time every day to be in silence and solitude. Why? Why would we want to do this? So that you can acknowledge before God what you really feel. You can stop. Let your body actually feel what it's feeling and then talk to the Lord about it. Journal it down. Hear from the Lord during that silence. Be quiet. Stop talking in all of your prayers. Listen to him. Have your Bible open and be listening to what he has to say. And during these times of silence and solitude, don't minimize or rationalize. Oh, I'm I'm fearful, but it's just because of this reason and you excuse it. No, go to God with your fear. God, I'm scared because of this. God, I'm sad because of this. I'm angry because of this. I'm joyful because of this. I love this and it doesn't even feel right that I should love that. What's going on? We have this um, short video on Right Now Media, which I'd love to give you a free subscription to. Uh, We have it as a church. Uh, You'll find it in the chat box on our online platform. We'll put it there right now. Um, But this short little video will tell you how to put together a a time of silence and solitude where you can take what you're hearing to the Lord. Another encouragement would be to get a, a regular Sabbath day. Man, God gave you 24 hours of just rest and you're like, ah, so many rules, so many rules. I need to take a full day off. That's amazing. You get like a little mini vacation every single week to rest and be recharged with God. That's absolutely amazing. But you can't get around paying attention to what's going on inside you to actually live an authentic self connected to God. The third thing is to find trusted companions. Do you have an inner circle? Do you have people around you that you trust? If not, are you hesitant to it? And if you're hesitant, why are you hesitant? Is it because you ask the question, if, if they really know me, will they really love me? You don't feel lovable. You, you've seen too many people leave, so it's not worth the investment in more people. You've been hurt so many times. So we're just going to protect our heart. We're not going to have friends. We're not going to have a tight circle of, of companions that we walk with. Or it's just too much work. Well, listen to what C.S. Lewis had to say about friendship. 
and love. He said there's no safe investment. To love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. Don't lock up your hearts. Walk with other people. Let them know who you are. Developing friendships is going to take time. But who do you already connect with? Who do you get along with really well? Who have you been open with before they've been helpful? Begin to invest in them. Friendships take time and they just happen initially, but then they take a lot of work to invest in and it's worth it. So how do we do this? How do we live this authentic life? Fourth, move out of your comfort zone. That's simple, isn't it? Changing means breaking comfort. You gotta move. You gotta do it. That's the only way it's gonna happen. Ask the Lord Help me with this and then move in it. The fifth thing is to pray for courage. You will be met with temptation after temptation to go back to the way life was before. You'll like change initially, but then it'll get too hard at some point. There are three stages really that'll happen. Stage one is you're gonna hear you are wrong for changing and hear the reasons why. Someone else might tell you this or you might tell yourself this. You're wrong for changing and here are the reasons why. And if you make it past that stage, here's the second stage. You'll hear change back and you'll be accepted again. I'll like you again if you can be like you were before. The third stage is if you don't change back, these are the consequences. I'm gonna cut myself off from you. You're never gonna get this thing. The consequences are usually dire. These are the stages of temptation that we're gonna be faced with. You're wrong for changing. Change back, you'll be accepted. If you don't change back, here are the consequences. Well, we need to be praying for courage that when those stages come up, that we burn them. That we burn them, that we can't go back. That we're burning the ships. We're not going back to the way we were before. Jesus has brought us to this new land of emotionally healthy spirituality because of what he's done and we're not going back. And yes, we've lost so much but we've lost that so we can gain what we cannot lose. And the last way that we can live an authentic life connected to God is that we build our life around who we really are. See, so many of us just let life happen to us. We're reactive instead of proactive. Uh, I put together a, a short thing like I did for Silence and Solitude around uh, priority-based time budgeting. It's a something that most of us don't do. But if, again, if you don't have a Right Now Media account, we'd love to give that to you. You can go and watch this short video. It'll help you rearrange your schedule, rearrange your priorities around what God actually wants you to be and do so that you're living out your God-given priorities so that you can be really who you are, your authentic self connected to God being changed by him. So who are you? Who are you? Are you willing to let him change you? You see, growing in emotionally healthy spirituality means that you know who God is and who you are. And here's the reality, that God loves you. God loves you. 
He wants to help you change. He's bringing all the resources to the table. He even renames you, my child. My child, my beloved son or daughter, with you I am well pleased. So you are loved. You're so loved. And here's the thing, no matter how much change you see, if everything we're going through, you're like, yes, I'm so broken in these things. No matter how much needs to be changed, he doesn't flinch in his love toward you. The scaffolding is put up and he is at work in your life. Now I was praying because there's a lot of information to take in. I was praying, Lord, what is it that you would want someone to walk away from this with? I know that you forget my sermons. It's okay. I forget my sermons. But I was praying, what is it, Lord, that you would want for people to walk away with? Remembering very, very clearly. And here it is. You are my beloved child. And with you, I am well pleased. You have to hear that over you today, being spoken over your life, that that is what's most true if you know who Jesus is. And that's what's most true if you said, I commit my life to Jesus today. That's what's most true about you, that you are a beloved child of God and that can never, ever be taken away. So we're gonna respond. We're gonna respond this morning. We're gonna process all this stuff throughout the week in our city groups and as you're reading chapter two of Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. But we're gonna respond and we're gonna respond in a few ways. Number one, we're gonna give. There's a little button on our Church 21 platform. You can hit give. We give because God is a giver. He's given you everything. We respond to him by giving so that more people can meet him so that the church can be growing together and that uh, all of the things that we need to be paying for are taken care of. Uh, we, we respond Uh, by prayer. Maybe you need prayer today. You can hit the live prayer button or send us a Facebook message and we'd love to pray with you and for you. And don't be ashamed of needing prayer. I need prayer all the time. I've asked lots of people to be praying for me right now. Uh, And then we respond by by singing. We respond by singing. So I'm gonna invite you to stand up in your living room, um, wherever you are, stand up and and respond with us. Now, also during this this time of singing we're going to have someone sharing in between songs as well sharing some things that god is doing in their life so so stay tuned for that but i want for us to respond with joyful hearts ready to be changed saying lord i know who i am i'm a beloved child of you now how do you want to change me what areas do you want to change me in so let me pray for us God, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you're calling us to take off this mask. Thank you that you want for us to be just like Jesus. And you're not just calling us to that. You're giving us the power to be able to do that through your spirit. Spirit, would you reveal whatever it is that you want for us to be changing in this moment. Help us to to remember all throughout this week, the rest of our lives, that we are beloved children of God. We can never lose that. That can never be taken from us. No one will ever snatch us from the Father's hand. Thank you that you are a good God who always does what is good, right, and true. We're asking you to change us and to change this city and that many people would know and love you. So we love you and we need you for everything. Amen.